sinewy. His thoughts, movements, and actions were those of a much younger man. The youngest of the rangemen was a waif called Button, which was a common name for youngsters. Boss and Charlie Waite had rescued Button from an alley fight where townsmen in western New Mexico had pitted him against another boy and placed bets on the outcome. Button was getting whipped to a frazzle when Boss and Charlie broke it up and took him out to the wagon camp with them. Now Button was sixteen, doing a man's work in a man's world, growing like a weed, thin as a rail, with hair the color of dirty straw. Charlie had trailed cattle west with Boss Spearman. He was a little less than average in height, had muscle packed inside a powerful frame, had dark hair and eyes, and could do something few other men ever learned. He could rope equally well with either hand. Charlie's full name was Charles Travis Pusselwaite. Before he'd reached twenty, he shortened it to Charlie Waite. He looked to be about forty-five, but in fact was thirty-five. The last of them was well over six feet tall and weighed better than two hundred pounds. He had nondescript dark hair and deep-set gray eyes, a wide mouth, and scars. His name was Mosley Harrison. They called him Mose. Big Mose, leaning against the tailgate beneath the canvas, was the first to see the rent in the sky far eastward and say, It's going to break up. Look yonder. But the storm didn't break up. Not for another twenty-four hours, and then it ended the same way it had arrived, silently in the soggy night. When they rolled out in the morning to get a cooking fire started with damp wood, there was only a misty dampness to the air. The downpour had stopped. For another few days, though, the ground would be too treacherous underfoot to do much, and there were seepage springs everywhere that underlying layers of rock would not allow water to penetrate. Charlie was frying side meat. The old pot held the last of their coffee. When the others squatted to eat in silence, Charlie rationed out soggy fried spuds, meat, and three baking powder biscuits to each plate. He sat down with his tin dish. Nice little rain, he said. Grass'll be strong all the way into July, maybe. No one else spoke. They chewed, swallowed, and raised more food to their mouths. They washed the food down with the coffee, then put the tin cups and plates aside to roll smokes. The smoking was a ritual. It signified something. The end of a meal, the end of a day, the spiritual or philosophical girding up for something ahead. Maybe a self-reward for having survived a particular event. Boss tipped ash into the little fire. My ma used to say, don't anything happen, it don't bring some good with it. He pointed with his cigarette hand. They'd been having trouble with the wagon's wheels through a month of hot weather. Them tires and spokes and fellows is as tight as when they was new. The next morning the sun arrived, huge and orange-yellow, with a single cloud in its path toward the meridian. An hour later the ground steamed. The men shed coats and still sweated. They loafed around the wagon doing minor chores until the kid found the horses. One horse, anyway. 
He'd gone out on foot with a bridle draped from one shoulder and a lariat in his right hand. Boss walked out a ways, remained out there for a while, then returned to lean on the tailgate, scraping mud off his boots as he said, Not a sight of anything. I got a feeling we're going to sit right here for maybe a week before we find all those damned cattle. Mose Harrison was rubbing mold off a saddle fender. If the ground was harder, we could take the wagon wherever the cattle are, instead of wasting days finding them and driving them back here. Boss gazed at the hulking man. Yeah, he said dryly. If. All my life it's been if. Charlie went up front where the wagon tongue was held off the ground by a little wooden horseshoe keg. He sat up there until he saw a distant movement, then returned to the tailgate area. He caught one. Boss finished cleaning off the mud and pitched the twig into the dying coals of their breakfast fire. You want to find the other one, Charlie? When Button finally got back, mud to the knees and leading a Roman-nosed, raw-boned big sorrel horse with feet the size of dinner plates, Charlie went out with an old croaker sack to dry off the animal's back before saddling up. The heat had been steadily, muggily building up for over two hours. It would have helped if there had been a little air stirring, but the air was stone still. Visibility, however, was excellent as Charlie reined away, heading on an angling northwesterly course. Because there were no tracks, finding any animals would be by sight alone. They would eventually find them. They'd been through worse situations than this many times. Grazing cattle constantly moved, and this sooner or later brought rangemen face to face with just about every inconvenience or obstacle nature or man could devise. It was simply a matter of finding which way the cattle had drifted, with their heads down and their rumps to the force of the storm. What made it unlikely that Charlie Waite would find the cattle soon was the duration of the storm. The cattle could drift one hell of a distance in two days. The Roman-nosed horse sweated even at a steady walk. Charlie did, too. So did the ground, but its sweat was a rising faint mist as hot sunlight cooked soggy earth. There was a lot of territory on all sides. The only barrier was a range of haze-distanced mountains to the north. They seemed to form around the big prairie in a long, spending curve like a huge horseshoe. There were no signs of two-legged life, but there were plenty of pronghorns and deer. Charlie came up over a landswell and startled a young, tawny yellow cougar eating a rabbit. They looked at each other in surprise for a couple of seconds before the cat broke away with his belly hair scraping the ground as he fled eastward. Charlie could have shot him. He had his saddle gun along. Instead, he turned northward along the rise and stood in his stirrups, seeking movement. A rising heat haze shortened visibility a little, but he could still see for miles. The land was empty. He zigzagged over a mile or two, looking for tracks. When he found them, finally, he was about ten miles from camp. From this point on, he followed Calcine toward those distant mountains. The cattle would not have got that far, but he loped a little anyway. 
He needed reassurance that they hadn't got up in there, because if they had, it was going to be hard work finding them and driving them back to open country. The mountains did not seem to be getting any closer, no matter how far he rode toward them. What he sought was a sighting, or failing that, the scent of cattle. What he found was a big calf lying dead. Squawking buzzards surrounded the corpse, too engrossed in feeding to notice his approach until he was close enough to yell and startle them. Most of the birds ran along the ground to get airborne, but several ignored the proximity of the man to tear at the carcass, too hungry to depart immediately. They finally left when Charlie was about a hundred feet from the carcass. He rode closer, sat in his saddle, studying the dead calf, trying to figure out what had killed it. He gave up on that because the body had been torn and dragged until there was little semblance of its original self. Charlie rode northward on the wide, perfectly visible trail of a lot of cattle. He had not found the brand back there. If he'd cared to dismount and roll the carcass over to expose the right side, he probably could have found it. Boss Spearman, for some private reason, used one C iron to make three-letter C's on the right rib cage of his cattle. Charlie Waite had been with Spearman six years and still did not know what the three C's stood for. Some coyotes appeared through stirrup-high grass following the scent of blood. Charlie saw them, then lost them, only to see them again in other places. He thought there was about fifteen of the varmints. There was no doubt about what they were seeking and would ultimately find. When that happened, the buzzards would leave and would stay away. With the sun coming down the far side of heaven... To...